Scripture journaling. Scripture journaling. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think it's the exact title. Yeah, yeah. Scripture journal, English Standard Version. They have these for. I think just about every New Testament book, Um, and they're just great. If like if you're if you brought it on Tuesday night and you were read read along as we teach and you just wrote down notes on the other side, just great little extra stuff. So it's get really cheap, six bucks, and you get it on Amazon. Um, You get in your in your at your door in what two days, right? You have Prime. If you don't have Prime, I'll get it for you. Um, so, here we go. Um, who in here, uh, I actually, did I bring it with me? No. Uh, I actually, who in here has bought a, gotten something in the mail from Amazon this week? I got a book this week. Who has gotten an Amazon package in the last few weeks? Yeah, just about everyone. Who's got an Amazon package in the last month? Keep our hands up. Yeah, just keep them up. Well, I mean, yeah. I want to make sure... Really? Caroline, when was the last time you got an Amazon pack? Well, it's been that long, huh? Um, Impressive. Beginning of the school year. Okay. She's a big eBay shopper. Big eBay shopper. Um, yeah. No, I just don't shop. Because, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't okay. want to spend money. But Amazon, I mean, so, I feel like every every few days there's something coming in the mail from Amazon to my house. Um, we just are so, Amazon is so much part of our daily consumption, right? Our weekly uh, buying habits. Um, who in here uses Google on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, Google is something we use very often. I mean, Google, if we have a question or we want, uh, if we have a, a thought or wondering, a curiosity about something, we go to Google and Google answers it for us, right? Um, Google is so much uh, a part of our lives that it would be weird to even think about when we didn't have Google. Like, there was a time where I, I wonder what the year was that Jamestown was established as a colony. You're like, how do I figure that out? Well, you didn't have Google, so you had to, I don't know, get on internet, go to Wikipedia, or maybe you had an encyclopedia and you pulled that off the bookshelf, or maybe you had the uh, the, the encyclopedia on the CD-ROM, which I had when I was a kid, you had to put it in the CD-ROM and pull it out. So, like, you couldn't just go to your phone and push the, like, voice command in the voice memo and say, hey, Google, when, did, when was Jamestown established? And, J- and Google just gives you the answer, right? It's like very, there's very few things that we cannot figure out or find the knowledge of because of, because of Google. Um, but Google has become such an important part of our lives that it almost has become somewhat of a, of a I'm going to use this term, somewhat of a god. Um, as the world has been alienated more from traditional religions, we look to Google as our immediate all-knowing oracle of answers from trivia to profound, right? I mean, like, if we want advice about medicine, if we want advice about parenting, if we want advice about marital relationships, if we want advice about, uh, um, you know, dating relationships, we go to Google, right? We don't ask anyone. We just go to Google and some expert, some article from some expert will pop up. 
Google is our modern day God. It's offering knowledge to everyone. It doesn't matter how much money you have or who you know, all you need is the internet or better yet a smartphone and you can get the answer to anything. Is there anything else that you have trusted more with your secret than Google? <laughs> Does anybody know you better than Google? I mean, even Google, like, remembers what you search, right? It knows everything about you. It knows your tendencies. It knows when you go to buy something when you feel a certain way. Why do we need a God? God, Google seems to be omniscient. Google seems to be able to answer my prayers. Google can't die. Google remembers everything about me. Google can do no evil. And so I want to talk about knowledge because in our world, like knowledge is like, well, you don't really have to gain knowledge. All you have is Google. You just allow Google to give you all the answers to all your problems and you can figure out any issue. Even if you are not very crafty, you're not very good with, with like putting things together or not very handy, well, Google will give you a video, right? That will show you how to do it. <laughs> what do I need? that I can't get through my phone? What do I need that I can't get through Google? What do I need that I can't get through the, the modern technologies that I have? Well, Paul tells us here that there, this, this passage, which is, what, several verses long, is really about one thing. I know that when you read all these, these verses or you read all these words, you think, well, it's about a lot of different things, but really Paul is talking about one thing, and that one thing that Paul is praying uh, for the church in, in Ephesus is that they would be filled with the spirit of wisdom, of knowledge. So the, the main point of the passage is about knowledge. It's about wisdom. That knowledge is not just general facts, but that knowledge or wisdom is about God in particular. So the kind of the main point we're going to start is, is here in verse 15 and 16, uh, this continual faith and love. So, Paul says that for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, that's verse 15. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Uh, Paul, sometimes the verses and the, the section divisions kind of do you a disservice. Because you go, okay, he's done with that thought in verse 14, now he's to a totally new thought. Well, Paul did not put thanksgiving and prayer before verse 15. And he didn't put number 15 right next to for this reason. That was all added in much later. That stuff is not inspired. So that, this is one continual thought by Paul. Okay, this is a letter. You've written letters. You've written emails, right? You, you don't go, okay, I'm going to separate this paragraph from this paragraph with a totally new thought. They all kind of logically go along with each other. So Paul continues with his logical thought. For this reason, because of God's blessings in your life that he talks about in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And so he refers back to this for this reason, because of the blessings in your life by God, by his election, by your election to sainthood. He says in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In our adoption in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters. Grace in Christ, which is verse 6, the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed you or us in the beloved in Christ. Because of your redemption in Christ, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness that you have of your trespasses according to the riches of his grace, God's grace, through Christ or in Christ. 
Then he talks about his, the insight that you have. We see this in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So you've been given wisdom. You've been given insight into God's will. Then in verse um, 13, you've been sealed. Oh, verse 12, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Is that is verse 13. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The, the promised Holy Spirit. So you you have all these things because of all these reasons which I've just stated. I have heard of your faith. So you have um, you have believed or you have heard the the, the word of truth. You see, we see this in verse twelve. You've heard this word this word of truth. You've believed in the gospel of your salvation for these reasons because of I've heard of your continual faith and your love towards all the saints. Because of these continual things, because of what God's already done in your life, and your continual faith, your continual belief in Christ Jesus, and your continual love. So it's not like all of a sudden, like, they believed in Jesus, they believed in Christ, and then they were like, they are, I believed, this one, they walked down the aisle, right, they were baptized, and then they don't have that faith anymore. No, this is a, he, Paul hears about their continual faith. There's evidence, there's proof of their faith, he hears about this faith, he, he hears about their continual love for all the saints. There's evidence of their love for all the saints. There's evidence of these things. So they've been progressing in the gospel. They are rooted in the gospel. Their progress, their maturity in the faith is, is rooted in the gospel, and it leads them to love of one another. There's a gathering of believers in the gospel. And because the gospel that we've already talked about last week, because the gospel that God has blessed them with, there is a marks of progress in their life. And Paul notices this. He, he, he is aware of these things. He hears these things. And because of these things, he gives thanks to God. He's thankful to God for their continual faith and their love towards one another. He's thankful for these things. He's thankful for these maturities in their life. And he's thankful. He doesn't cease to, be, to give thanks to God for the things in their life, that the progress, the maturity in their life. Thankful to God for the progress they've made because of the gospel in their life. Not because they're great people, not because they've gone to church and they have a great attendance to Sunday school class, not because they read their Bible every day and they check it off their list and or they go to an accountability group every week or this, this, and this. He's giving thanks to God because of the faith that they have and the love towards one another. That's the marks of a growing Christian, continual faith and continual love for one another. So sometimes we have the wrong marks. We're thankful for the wrong marks in people's lives. Maybe people are financially successful or financially independent. We're like, oh, thankful, thankful to God. Thank you for all this maturity that this person has because they have financial success or financial independence. Paul is not excited for their financial success or their financial independence. He's not excited about their their marital success. Oh, there's a, they're in a great marriage, right? That their marriage is growing. They're in a, in a perfect relationship. They had great children. Their, their children are honored students. That's not what he's thankful for. He's not thankful for their accomplishments or their trophies or they're doing a really good job. They were, they were uh, they're the employee of the month. He's not thankful for their recognition in the world or their external results. He's thankful for their continual faith in Christ and their love towards one another. Mm-hmm. See, a lot of times, and I, here's the thing, I'm, I'm a parent, I have two kids, and it's going to be my temptation to think my children are maturing and growing because of external results, not because of their faith in Christ, but continually and their love towards one another, their love towards the fellow saints. It's a temptation for parents, right? To be proud of their kids because they do well in the sports, 
field or sports court or do well in the classroom. My child is doing well. They're doing well in class on the sports, but yet they're doing horrible when it comes to their continual faith and their love for him. Just try to re- remember that when you think about what the marks of a, of a believer, the marks of a mature believer. So that's kind of the first point, this what Paul is thankful for, what he's thankful for God for what's happening in the life of the church in Ephesus, amongst the church and the, the Ephesian church. So the second point, there's only two points, prayers for wisdom and knowledge. This is the main part of this passage, prayers for wisdom and knowledge. So we see going on in verse 16, at the end of this, 16b, remembering you in my prayers. So he's thankful, he doesn't cease to give thanks for them, for what God is doing in their lives, what God's continuing to do in their lives, but he's also remembering them in prayer. So what is Paul praying about? What is he praying to God? What is he supplicating? What is he asking God to do in the life of the Ephesians? They're already growing in faith. They're already loving one another. So what would he have to offer? What does he need to pray for? He has particular things that he is asking God to do in the life of the church in Ephesus. He says in verse 17, So remember you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of the revelation and the knowledge of him. And so God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So he's praying, that's the request that he's praying for. So the prayer request uh, for the church of Ephesus is that they would be uh, they, they would know and be given the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of God. What does that mean? Well, first off, the spirit of wisdom or insight and revelation, which revelation is a fancy word for something hidden, right? Something is hidden, but now it's being revealed uh, to particular people. Um, so what, what do they need? What is the spirit? Well, although they already have the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 13 that they were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So why are they needing the spirit? Why does God need to give them the spirit? They already have the spirit. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would manifest himself in the lives of believers by giving them certain insight and knowledge of God. So there's certain knowledge and insight about God that they're lacking. And Paul is praying that they would come to understand God in this way. They would have a deeper knowledge of who God is. They'd have a deeper intimacy with God. To put it more simply, they would know God more intimately. That's what Paul is praying, that they would know God so much and so deeply that they would know him far more intimately than they already know. That would be my prayer request for you, that not only that you're a Christian, and not only that you go to church or that you read your Bible, but that your knowledge of God would get deeper. Your maturity and knowledge of God would get deeper. That's what he's praying, that they would grow in their knowledge of God. The, the Spirit of God would manifest himself in the lives of believers by giving them a certain insight and knowledge of God, and that they would know God more intimately. We're not talking about a Google knowledge of God. We're not talking about facts. We're not talking about uh, 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 a laundry list of theological statements about God. We're not talking about memorization. We're not talking about being able to answer on a test uh, the question, who is God? We're talking about an intimate knowledge of God. When we think about intimacy, when we think about love, we know what that means. This is not something that you really need to be taught on, right? You know when I say intimate knowledge of someone, you know that you have an intimate knowledge with your parents, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, with your husband or wife. Like, there's a deep intimacy. It's not something, well, I know Lisa. I know all the facts about her. I know her bio. 
You know, I know her FBI file. Like, that's not what we're talking about. And it is funny because that's, that, that's ludicrous. When you love someone, you know them intimately. There's a deep knowledge of that person. And that's what Paul is saying, that they would have a knowledge of God so deeply, so intimate. And there's particular reasons why he prays for these things. And we're talking about a personal and real knowledge of someone. You know, the, the, you've heard this, like, you go to college to know yourself, right? I'm going off to know myself. Um, if anyone can help me understand what that means, I would appreciate it. I don't, I'm not really sure what that means. I think people, people have, kind of maybe have been trained to think that way. Like, I don't really know myself. I need to be, I need to find myself. There's a great journey, right, of finding myself. And the problem is I've never found the person who's actually found themselves, right? They, they go to college and they go, I'm going to find myself. Would you find yourself? No, I'm still looking for myself because it's a ludicrous, I mean, journey. It's a ludicrous uh, uh, quest to find yourself. But what Paul is saying here is not that, that the, the church in Ephesus would know themselves more, but they would know God more. And by going God more, they would uh, have this wisdom and this knowledge, this insight, that they would know God through the Holy Spirit. I, I talked about Google. I'm going to talk about Facebook for a second. Uh, so Google being the mind, right, it's the, it's the knowledge center, right? It's, it's, it, it provides all the knowledge of the world right there on the search engine. But what Facebook is this appeal to the heart, isn't it? It's a sense where you have all these friends on Facebook and, and, and you have you put things with photos or comments and you get the likes and you have this dialogue and this friendship through this um, through this social media structure, this social media system. There's a sense of closeness, right? Being maybe friends now for me it's high school friends or college friends. For you maybe it's middle school friends or high school friends, but reconnecting with these people that you never see, right? And you need to kind of be a part of their lives through images. And there's this, this intimacy, this, this, this heart that is connected to uh, this, this idea of, of knowing and, and, and being connected to, uh, appeal to the heart. And we see here, though, that... Paul is, is wanting our hearts enlightened. He says this in verse, um, kind of towards here, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What does that mean? What is a heart? What is a heart? Rarely in the, in the Bible, does a, is when he talks about the heart, is we talking about the physical blood pumping heart, okay? Um, rarely, I, I can't think of one occasion, maybe there is one or two, but very much the minority of occasions in the Bible where when the word heart is mentioned, it's talking about the blood pumping heart. Usually what it's talking about, majority of the time, uh, it's talking about the center of the human uh, experience. Uh, and we're talking about the feelings and emotions, the conduct, the will and desires, the thoughts and understandings of a person. Um, and, and so we think about, so it's a, it's a, it's a catch-all term that includes all these things, different things. When I say the heart, I'm talking about your thoughts, your understanding, your desires, your will, your actions, your conduct, your emotions, your feelings. The entire, so Paul is praying that the entire person would be transformed completely by the knowledge of God. That their hearts would be enlightened uh, to, the, to the wisdom and knowledge of who God is. So what is the reason for this? Why does Paul pray for these things? What is the purpose for praying that they would be filled with wisdom and revelation? What is the hope 
to which they had been called, he says here in verse uh, 18, the hope which he has called you. What are the riches of his glory inheritance in the saints? Verse 19, and what is the measurable greatness of his power towards us? You believe according to the working of his grace. Mike, you see kind of that, 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 that kind of structure? What is, what are, what is? Those are the three things, those are the three reasons that Paul is praying that uh, the church in Ephesus would be, have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So the first one is, what is the hope to which he has called you? This is the first one. What is the hope? to which he has called you. What is he talking about here? Well, it's interesting with these three different points. He kind of used it. He thought, time is a very important part of this. The first one is about the past. The second one is about the future. And the last one is about the present. So the hope um, to which he has called you is talking about the past. God has called you in the past. We saw this in verse 4 of chapter 1. He chose you before the foundations of the earth. He has called on you. God has invited you. He has summoned you you into his family. He has invited you into his grace. He's invited you into the experience of salvation. He's invited you to understand his gospel and to experience his gospel, to know his son, to know him. He's invited you. He's summoned you. He's called you to experience the fulfillment of his, the fulfillment of his plan. That, and we're not talking about world's, the world's wishful thinking. We're not talking about hope and this idea of, I hope that I'll get a job, or I hope I'll get a pony, or I hope I'll get a car, right? I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. That is very much a wishful thinking term. We're talking about a hope that is certain, a hope that is absolute. The, the absolute certainty of your hope is in God's promises and God's faithfulness to his call. God doesn't lie. He's faithful to his promises. That's the first one. The second one, what are the riches, the wealth, and this glorious inheritance in the saints? This is important. Don't read this, this section fast. If you read it too fast, don't you'll think and go, oh, he's talking about my inheritance. That's not what he's talking about, is it? Just read it again. What are the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So we're talking about God's inheritance, not yours. It's an important point. Now, what is the inheritance that we're talking about? You are the inheritance. You are the treasure. You are the fortune that God is going to obtain, going to receive. Think about, think about that. When we talk about like human life, we talk about do does humans have value? Do I have worth? Do, 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 you know, we, we think about our worth being what other people think about us, but the God of the universe who created everything thinks you're so valuable that he calls it a glorious inheritance. Think of the quality of that. You can't even think of the greatest treasure in the world wouldn't equal that. Your quality is so great. You are such a treasure to God. God views you as a valuable preciousness. The last one is what is the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his great mind? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe to the working of his great mind? So now we're going to the present. So the first one is about the past, his, his, his calling in the past. Then we talked about the future, his, uh, God's future inheritance, which is you. Now we're talking about the present, which is his present power towards you who believe. He mentions the word power a lot. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the workings, which is another term for power, of his mighty Power. The power is mentioned a lot, four different times in this one, uh, 
this one sentence. Power is directed toward those who believe. If, if you believe in Christ, if you, are, if you are one who put your faith in Christ, you are one whose God's power is directed to. We think about power in this, in this section here. We think of a bulldozer, right? A bulldozer, especially if you're a child like my son, a bulldozer is like a mighty thing, right? It is something that does a lot of, a lot of cool things. When you look at a bulldozer, you see power, right? So within itself, before it even does anything, before it even turns on its engine, you recognize it as power. Then it actually has power, right? When it turns on its engine and it makes that roaring noise, you recognize that as power. And then it actually does its activity, right? It actually digs under the ground or it knocks over a tree or it uproots something. It's actually its activity, is actual power. And so God's power... Is something that you can visualize. It's something that is is uh, is something that is, is is present and real, and his activity and his power changes and transforms things. And his power towards you is something that is directed towards you, and you and your his power transforms you and 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 changes you and 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 and, and transforms you and sanctifies you and grows you and matures you. That is, a, that is a great thing. We think about God's power in your life in the present age. Like, we think about a lot of things that happen in your life. When you think about hostility, when you think about um, anxiety, when you think about worry, when you think about anxiousness, you understand that that's not just a physical or mental issue. That's a spiritual hostility. There's a spiritual warfare going on. And when you realize that God's power is directed towards you and that you are safe in God's power, that should bring you a lot of rest and a lot of hope. What is the demonstration of God's power? The rest of the passage is about that demonstration. So we're going to run through this. Demonstration of God's power in Christ. He, uh, God's power raised Jesus from the dead. It seated Christ at his right hand, above all names and over all rule and authority and power and dominion, in the name of all names. Then he put all things under his feet. Then he gave them head over the church. So this is a demonstration of God's power in reality, in history, in time and space. We know Christ was raised from the dead. We know that Christ was sitting at the right hand of the Father. We know that Christ was given all power and authority. That is a demonstration of God's power, and that is the same power directed towards you who believe. So we think about, again, if you are going through struggles, if you're going through things where you feel helpless, you feel like you have no hope, you feel like there's no way out of this, you feel like there is no uh, security whatsoever, Realize that if you're one who puts your faith in Jesus Christ, God's power that raised Jesus from the dead, seated him with the right hand of the Father, gave him all authority and dominion, is the same power directed towards you. Same power. This is really helpful for our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in a world where uh, there's a lot of demons and spiritual warfare. When they, when they think about God's power, that God's power is higher and greater than the, the power of the demons and the spirits around them, there's a lot of hope and a lot of comfort. And think about the rest in that, man. If you realize that you are guarded by a lion, you're not worried about someone coming into your house and hurting you. That is the same power that is directed towards you and watching over you. That is true for a child. That's true for us as well, right? 
we're concerned or worried about our life, about our future, realize that God's power that raised Jesus from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father, gave him all authority and power over everything, is directed towards you. Remember that and find comfort in that. The last thing here is this, he gave him head over the church, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. This is a, kind of a tag on here. You, you may read this and go, well, I don't really know what that means, the fullness of him who fills all and all. That's kind of worded weird. Like, what does that mean? It's just a weird English. It's, rooted, it's, weird, it's weirdly worded. What does that mean? It means that, that Christ is filling up the church. So God, God's fullness is, 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 Christ is filled with God's fullness, God's power, God's uh, holiness, God's uh, everything about God is in Christ, and then Christ is filling up the church with that same power, with that same holiness. So in all situations, either corporately, meaning this group of people, or your church, or individually, that you are being filled with the power of Christ. That's what that passage means. In all situations, in all circumstances, in every, every issue of your life, wherever you are, whatever's going on, that same Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father and has authority over all things is filling you with the same power and the same moral excellence and the same holiness. He's filling you with that. He's filling the church with that. That should bring you a sense of joy, a sense of hope that God is not leaving you helpless and alone, but that God is filling you through Christ with the fullness of him. And that's what that little section means. That little, that little wording right there is so powerful that wherever you're sitting in your life, wherever you feel like there's no hope, there's no, there's no help coming, that God fills you with the, with the fullness of Christ. Corporately and individually. So even as a church, right? if you go to Redeemer or First Southern or any other church, corporately as a body of believers, if you're struggling with growth, if you're struggling with money, if you're struggling as a church with other issues, realize and put your confidence in the fact that as Christ is filled with, the, with God, you are filled with Christ. And so I'm going to end with this, that, you, that confidence, where I have confidence and thankfulness in your particular life is not that you've got an A in your class or that you have a great relationship with your roommate or that you have a perfect relationship with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, none of these things are what I hope for you. What I hope for you, what I pray for you, and I pray, didn't pray as well, is that you would grow spiritually in your knowledge of God, that you would intimately uh, know God, that you would love God more and more and more and more, and not that you would, have, you would, you would achieve some external results. That your love for one another would grow, that your love for God would grow, that you would have continual faith in God, that your wisdom and knowledge of God would grow, that, that you would grow in the hope of His calling, you would grow in understanding that you are God's inheritance, and you would grow in understanding that God's power is directed toward you. So whatever situation you're in, if you're dealing with weariness or anxiety, that you would rest in knowing that God's power is directed towards you. Yeah. Lord, I thank you for your word. I praise you, Lord, for its truth. And Lord, we pray, Lord, we thank you for this evening, and thank you for the songs we sang, we thank you for uh, your teaching. I know that Paul's letters can be difficult to understand at times, Lord. They can be challenging. They could be, uh, a paragraph could take uh, hours and days to understand, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit illuminates our minds and hearts with truth. It guides us, Lord. It, it, it reminds us, Lord, of, of sin in our lives. It reminds us, Lord, of the blessings you've, you've placed in our lives and how you have intervened in our lives, Lord. 
and you bring us a sense of joy and a sense of understanding, Lord, that whatever's opening in our whatever's happening in our lives, all that truly matters is our growth and love for you, Lord, that we understand you, that we grow in our intimacy with you, Lord, that our knowledge of you would grow, that our understanding of the world and our understanding of reality would would, would coincide with our growth and our knowledge of you. And that as we understand your word more, as we understand what you're doing in our lives and in our family's lives and our friends' lives and our church's lives and the world, Lord, as we understand that more and more, Lord, we just praise you more. We glorify you more. We know that you're on the throne. We know that you're in control of our lives. Even if what's going on in our lives is not necessarily what we would pick, what we would choose, but I pray that you would give us understanding that down the road as we look back on these times in our lives, we would be thankful for what you did in our lives. We would be thankful for how you matured us and how you grew us. But I pray for these students. I pray for the same thing that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, Lord. That you would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you, Lord. That you would enlighten their hearts, Lord. That they would know you to what is the, the, hope, of, uh, the hope to which you have called them, Lord. That to, which are the riches, or the riches of your glorious inheritance to them, Lord. And what is the immeasurable uh, greatness of your power, Lord, which you work all things according to your mighty power, Lord. When you raised Jesus from the dead, when you sit in the right hand of the Father, when you gave him all authority and power and dominion over all things, you gave him the name above all names, and you uh, put everything under his feet, Lord, and, and you made him head of the church. Well, that's the same power directed to these students. Lord, I pray that they would understand them. We praise you and we love you.